What up, guys and girls? It's Bobby. And Sean. Coming at you live for our Sunday podcast of the Cronus Cast. Apologies for missing last week's episode. I was in the midst of moving across the country and was not able to podcast. Bobby, with moving across country, when I did it, I vented to you and to the entire community about my disdain for several of the states that I had the misfortune of traveling through. Uh, did you find the same with your move? Well, before we get into that, I just would like to say this podcast is sponsored by Pro, uh, Paragraph Recovery. Use the code Cronus for 50% off uh, and hit them up directly if you're military or first responder. The uh, supplements that I use are the Night Games and the Flame Off, both of which I use on the drive. Um, they actually help me sleep a lot. I actually, when I travel, I usually have a lot of sleeping problems. Um, probably like a combination of stress, just like not, you know eating well so this the their sleep supplement helped me a lot their night gain supplement helped me sleep get a good night's sleep before the drives and the flame off supplement just helps me feel a lot better especially with all the hours on the road but yeah man uh that road that trip was gnarly i say that's like my second i mean you had some great great videos and and, and photos that you were sending along the way from all the national parks you guys drove through but like specifically though, was there a state that you were like, never again? I am, I will never return. Uh, I South Dakota is always rough to drive through because it's just it's, it's just straight through. We took pretty much um, is it ninety or eighty? I ever took ninety, I want to say, we took the same highway for like three thousand or like two thousand miles from like Ohio all the way to Washington. It was the same highway I ninety. So like, uh, South Dakota is always a little bit rough to drive through because it's um, so flat. Uh, Montana, Wyoming was also pretty flat as well. Um, Montana was okay, but it was, it was okay. I mean, I don't, Ohio kind of sucks, I'll be honest. Not much in Ohio. I, see, I, I thought so too, but eastern Ohio is, I think, beautiful. Because you get like the Ohio, West Virginia, Pennsylvania area. Uh, that's like absolutely gorgeous with the mountains and the hills and the rivers. Although it should be known that John Denver's song, uh, West Virginia, is about the western part of Virginia yeah. State, not West Virginia, the state. I just want to throw it out there. Just for those West Virginia people out there that think that it's theirs, no, it's it's mine. It's Virginia's. But, yeah, I, I hate it's the, those states that are just brutally flat that are just the most boring. Yeah. It was actually it wasn't too bad. Like, Christina and I switched off every now and then. Uh, I think I drove, like, three quarters of the way. Because uh, she doesn't feel as comfortable towing stuff. So, like, I made sure that she would drive on, like, flat parts. So, like, South Dakota was good. Um, Wyoming and Montana, parts of it were pretty good, too. But then once we got over, like, the Rockies and, and then the Cascades, I kind of took over. Well, that's awesome, man. I'm, I'm pumped that you guys get out there. I feel like I was tracking your trip, and the next thing I know, there was the photo of you at the house. And within 12 hours, did you have that gym set up? Uh, it was first day. We drove like I think we averaged like 640 miles a day. I think we drove like 11 hours a day ish, and averaged 640 miles a day. So we got here in four and a half days, um, and then like moved in on Wednesday, and then kind of went out bought all our stuff, and then I think Thursday the garage I'm set up. And I'm just waiting on Rogue to get back in stock, um, so I can get like the rest of the stuff like a bar, plates, a rig, um, and some other random stuff. But everything else pretty much set up. How'd you uh, decide whose choice it was to listen to music or podcasts? Oh, whoever is driving chooses naturally. So uh, we did a lot. Of, uh, I did. A lot, I I kept doing a lot of audiobooks because um, you know I hate like I just can't listen to music for that long. 
so she we listened to Goggins audiobook, David Goggins audiobook, which I highly recommend. She uh, hadn't finished it before, so we kind of finished that. And then we listened to Malcolm Gladwell's Talking with Strangers, which is also a pretty good book. Um, it was kind of, I thought it was pretty good. Um, it kind of takes uh, what he talks about in Blink and then kind of expounds on him a little bit and talks a little bit more about like uh, like truth theory and like, it was pretty good. It's a good book. And then uh, we got about halfway through Jordan Pearson's 12 Rules for Life. So pretty good, pretty good drive, pretty educational. When you were checking in at hotels, were you like a uh, reservation for doctor or did you just say no, Bobby? Uh, I just walk in and just ask for a hotel room. <laughs> oh, you didn't schedule the hotel rooms in advance? No, I did. Oh, I don't. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of scheduling for like a road trip because it's like I kind of like to drive until I need to stop. Mm. And then we kind of like scan forward about an hour and then call the hotel to make sure they're open. That was that was actually an interesting part of the drive. Like some states were pretty much wide open, and other states weren't weren't open at all. Like we stopped in Indiana and uh, South Bend, South Bend area uh, by Notre Dame, and only like I would say like maybe twenty five percent of hotels were open because we called kept calling around, yeah, and only like one or two were open. But then as the farther west you got, the less people cared about it. It was like west of like Illinois, everybody it was like back to normal. Like South Dakota was normal; all the hotels were open. Nobody's wearing masks. Hotel, uh, like restaurants are open. People are like sitting in restaurants in uh, Montana. Holy so it's like shit. really weird. Yeah, that's that's gonna be nuts. To go. I don't think New York's gonna get back to that for like at least till the new year. Um, and with Memorial Day weekend upon us, I feel like the beaches are gonna have some pretty significant issues with either rationing off pieces of the the beach to beach goers or there's going to be some report of an increase in corona in the next two weeks that people are gonna be like well see this is why we shouldn't do it i just feel like we're gonna this like self-licking ice cream cone of quarantine life yeah it's weird because i saw on the cdc they just released the statistic that like uh that 35 percent of people that get covid the coronavirus don't show symptoms and then the mortality rate is like zero point four percent on their new calculations. So like, that is way lesser than we thought it was. Like China has like a two percent mortality rate, but our mortality rate is like zero point four percent. Like I know I don't want to sound like crash or like um, insensitive, but you know we're at like what like ninety thousand deaths from Corona from COVID or something. I like think that. we're might be up to a hundred now. So let me about a hundred thousand. But like if you do look at everything else that goes on, like I think I saw that three hundred thousand people a year die from obesity, obesity related diseases. So like, and I'm sure like the people that die from COVID also are obese. So I wonder if you could chalk that up as an obesity related, you know? Yeah, I think the the level of unhealthiness though is not something that Americans are comfortable with finger pointing. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I, I dislike about this corona pandemic and what governors are putting out and i brought it up before governor cuomo said you know it's we not me right well why aren't we using that same phrase for obesity you know because your unhealthiness if that makes you uh you know more likely to catch something like covid or be impacted by covid which means that it would indirectly impact me you know, like what are these second and third order effects? And then we look at it from a health perspective and this economic perspective that we have to shut everything down in order to, you know, what people say care about 
the populations that are most at risk. Well, it's like, at what point do we really have the conversation of what's economically uh, infeasible versus what's economically Mm -hmm. feasible, and then translate that to what we just talked about, the obesity-related crisis in America, because that is a huge drain on not only the the hospital systems with personnel Mm -hmm. and manning, uh, but financially with all these insurance companies. And I think the long-run effect of obesity-related illnesses and deaths might outweigh uh, the the cost of you know COVID, um, but I think that's one of those things where it's not like the fat acceptance movement. But if you bring that up, it's all of a sudden it's the same thing. They can't help the fact that they're overweight. Like how dare you? It's they can't help the fact that they're overweight. Just like they can't help the fact that they've caught you know this this strain of the flu. Um, I don't think those are equals. Yeah. Yeah, like I'm, all, I'm like really mixed on it too because I've seen, um, like in the hospital, how people or like just in urban environments, you know, people have food insecurities, like food deserts. They don't don't have access to like fresh produce. So I can empathize with that too, but at the same time, though, like it's not all, all not everybody in America that's obese lives in like an urban environment that's poor. No. There's definitely a, a pretty good correlation between like wealth and income disparity and health disparity. But at the same time, like, if you, like, you know, there's still, like, well-off people that are fat as shit, too. So it's, like, not really, like, a one-for-one, I would say. I think that's more to deal with gluttony than the fact that there's a food desert. I think it's absolutely sad and and quite pathetic here in the city. As soon as you start going into some low-income areas of the city, this idea of what a food desert really is, uh, you, you can't really understand that until you walk around or you drive around and you see it because... You know, moving into the city a couple times now and driving around the city a bunch and riding around a bunch, you literally will have 50 blocks of only seeing fast food restaurants. And then as mm. soon as you go to wealthier areas is when you see the Whole Foods, the Trader Joe's, um, not bodegas that are serving, you know, basic uh, food. Um, everything that you see up there is like processed. You don't see any vegetables on the side of the road or fruits for sale. Uh, so it's really sad because you know what kind of long-term impact that has. And, and it reminds me of that sugar documentary. That's quite literally the title. And I, I think you've watched it where the Australian guy goes into the uh, outback and he only eats processed foods for like a couple months. And, you know, out in the outback, uh, the the Aboriginal tribes have been kind of relegated just like the Native American population here has been on, you know, just this land. And they don't get good food. They're only eating processed food. And so now they have these obesity-related illnesses that have just spiked over the last 40 years. And it's like the same thing here in the urban environment. You know, unhealthy lifestyles are kind of driven by socioeconomic impacts. And uh, people, I think, often forget that in in how they, you know, look at obese people. Yeah, definitely. And so I empathize with that. But at the same time, they're like, what are we doing about addressing the overall issue? Because... You know, Amer- like the mortality, if you look at like the mortality, or like I actually looked this up last night, something like uh, obesity or obesity related diseases account for like 20% of deaths in America. So, you know, it's just like it's a huge statistic that is not addressed by public health, um, by the government, by, you know, by, you know, service, like public service. So it's just like, what are we doing to really address the issue here? And that's what I hope maybe this will help shed a light into that and help people, you know, motivate people to get healthier 
but there's still, I think, a lot of um, challenges overcome with a lot of these food disparities and food desert and his access to the healthy food because, you know, we can afford Whole Foods. Like, I eat, you know, I shop at Whole Foods, shop at Costco, but, like, you know, for the vast majority of people, they're not going to be able to afford that. I think what it comes down to as well is people can say they're politically inclined to the left or to the right, but health is one of those things that people expect the state to take care of regardless of their argument on you know the affordable care act or like a medicare medicaid for all because at the end of the day a fat person doesn't want to be told that they have to make major life choices and changes that include like healthy eating and exercise Uh, they expect that there's going to be some development in a weight loss drug or some sort of surgery that they're going to be able to have through their a medical provider that enables them to continue living the way that they are without having to make any sacrifice in order to, you know, extend their natural life. So I think that is a, you know, one of those like political fallacies that it doesn't really matter what side of the aisle that you're on. People generally think that when it comes to issues you have to solve personally, they'd rather have the government step in and tell them how to, Mm -hmm. how to be, you know, healthy, like healthy lunch, you know, for schools and those kind of topics. Yeah, I think it's like that, a little bit of personal responsibility because um, I've seen it in the hospital. Like I've done, I've done bariatric surgeries, and I think like uh, this. I don't remember the statistic off the top of my head, but something like twenty five percent of people, or 50, up to like fifty percent of people, like gain their weight back. They lose with bariatric surgery because a lot of people, um, when they get the surgery, they lose a lot of weight at the beginning because their body, you know, isn't able to eat. But then over time, they're able to eat, kind of essentially eat around their procedures and then kind of gaining all the weight back so you know i think a lot it's a good commentary on maybe human nature and not necessarily american culture because i think i think it's human nature that humans try to to live a comfortable life without you know um putting in the time or the effort to really change themselves you know at the same time you know what's sad is i feel like most army installations are food deserts they nothing but i also would agree nothing but fast food You've got nothing but gas station chow. The chow holes at the army are utter garbage. Like the amount of like processed quick food that soldiers can choose from compared to like fresh, clean eating is staggering. But then even you go in the commissary, the produce is not fresh. You know, I've lived on posts for probably half my life. It's not very good. And the aisles are just filled with like these Kellogg products and and shit products and it's not like the soldiers have enough time to really focus on cooking and then you know they've got to take care of kids and their families and it's just like what's a what's a quick option you know just throw in like a tony's pizza or whatever the hell people are eating now from you know the pizza aisle yeah it's a huge that's a great point they make because uh I know like some commissaries are hit or miss and then definitely the defects are also hit or miss but like for the defects too it's like you know, I think they're, I don't know, like, the supply chains and how distribution works, but I'm pretty sure for most of the food coming in from, for the, for the defects, it's all those, like, mass-produced, like, boil-and-bag type foods that are, like, you know, really uh, highly processed foods. And then on top of that, you know, all the, com- like, the fast food options on, on post, like, I don't know why the fuck AFES has, like, a Burger King contract, a Subway, like, subway yeah it's like uh summer yeah. subway but it's like anthony's pizza at least that was in the oh yeah 90s when i was on uh as a, as a kid living on post burger king popeyes yeah now it's charlie's um 
Zaxby's, though. I, yes. I love Zaxby's, but Zaxby's yeah. is horrible for you. Terrible. Um, Terrible for you. What are some other ones that you see on post? Uh, like Robin Hood. I think Robin Hood was kind of like a sub place. Oh, um, yeah. I think it's Taco like, Bell. But yeah, but yeah. yeah. Just shit food. But you know what would, would really change that? If you made every single person in a brigade go and eat at the DFAC for like lunch if that was like a requirement when you're in garrison not in the field everyone has to go eat so this battalion's time slot to go eat at the defac is 11 to 12 or something and you have to break it up like that i guarantee you, you get some like you know bougie officers up in there that are like all right is this what i have to eat those those guys that eventually become generals would be like we're not making this contract with this shit food company uh, just like the same way that people eventually started complaining uh, about the, was it, we were just talking about it. Who runs the housing on most posts? Balfour Beatty? Oh, yeah. Yeah, people complaining about Balfour Beatty. I'm sure that started from, you know, some 03, 04's wife who, you know, had a mom group that was pissed off that, you know, her kid fell and all of a sudden the officers gave a shit and that's when everything started mm-hmm. to change. Yeah. And it's like... Uh... I get like the why the army needs to subcontract out, but like the defects, generally speaking, are pretty shit. Um, I will say the breakfast. I always enjoy eating breakfast on the defects. It was the uh, cleanest option really of the lunch. day. Yeah. Although you could get un- some, uh, unlimited fruit juice, you could get unlimited soda. Um, thank God they had chocolate milk. I mean, it's like one of those things you have to balance because for a lot of soldiers until they either get married or, you know, their NCOs are not allowed to live anywhere else. So it's like you don't want to restrict mm-hmm. them from enjoying the regular food that, what, maybe like 60 to 80% of the rest of the military population gets to enjoy simply because they're they're brand new. But at what point are you like, no, you guys are government issue. You're going to eat what we tell you to eat so that you can be effective soldiers and rangers. Like that's, you know, that's one of those balances. Although I will say that I think a lot of how the f- – defects dictate their menus is because i think they they veer to or they they kind of shift towards uh like food items that are popular that they run out of so like the stuff like this fresh produce probably a lot of guys don't eat because it's not you know it doesn't taste good so then they end up wasting a lot of it and then they end up reducing their stock of the fresh produce or something like that they don't order as much yeah but if you're a cook in the army that's your job is to make stuff taste good i don't I don't want you to just get up there and add water to this mix and then sit behind a, a griddle and just, you know, wait until that there's some consistency that we're going to be fine with ingesting into our bodies. I I think they should actually learn, like, if you're going to be an army cook, learn how to flavor, you know, learn about different flavor profiles. They have culinary schools, I think, on a lot of the installations. Why aren't the soldiers going there? I mean, there were, there were tons of times that I'd rather bring, like, just tuna my jet boil and quinoa and eat that in the field then eat some of the garbage for the hot A's that we had brought out to us and then the, some of the cooks too have the biggest attitudes of any like service member i've ever come across like i'm doing you a disservice for asking for good food for you to go to mm-hmm. the defect early and make sure that the soldiers that are you know out there training can be fueled and finish whatever mission that we've tasked them with sorry that you have to sit back here and make some shit eggs like that pissed me off and then when the food sucks it's it's like just insult to injury although i will say the ranger cooks were great i was pretty good friends with one of the cooks at 375 um 
he was a great cook and ran the DFAC at 375 like like it was like clockwork. Uh, well, for for the listeners out there that have not had the privilege of going inside one of the Ranger DFACs, that is some good food. Like, you consistently Best. get clean food, a lot of it. Um, if you are on an installation like Hunter that has to share the DFAC, uh, the Rangers, you know, at least when I was there, would get, I think, like, what was it, three halves portions. So you'd get, like, an extra half a portion uh, when it comes to, like, the chicken, the eggs, because, you know, you're going to be operating at a higher level than the guy working out at the, I think it's the third cab for third ID. You know, so that that was great. And, uh, God, Benning's defect, though, uh, oh. I going through rasp, I was like, you know what? I would never want to be in the angry bat, but if I was like, I'd eat here three times a day. Cause this is such good food. Might just like sitting there just chugging the Gatorade in the water to get out. Cause the rasp padre are like, <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> Don't look at rasp one either. Don't smile at them. If you yep. know someone here, I swear to God. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, that? yeah. But that was actually really cool. Cause I went to Korea uh when we went to our training deployment to korea we brought the the head cook with us so i got to know him on like a personal level he's like a pretty cool guy apparently do you know that if you're a for every two every star or every two stars you get you get a personal chef so if you're four star you get like two chefs if you're a two star general you get a personal chef yeah i think i remember that from being an aide because there were instances where the division commander at 3id uh general rainey who was also a 375 ranger uh, back in the day when he'd have events put on they had cooks go out and cater and you know it's yeah. uh, it a pretty sweet sweat setup yeah so like uh he the the 375 uh, cook was telling me that they get like these uh do like a lot of actually like a lot of culinary training and that uh he like went to culinary school and it was like actual like an actual chef that's pretty cool um like like certified, or I don't know, like how the certification works or whatever, but he's like an actual chef. And it was just kind of funny because in Korea, like we got, I don't know what the fuck they are. They're like the shitty, like hot A's or boiling bags type food. But he like went out into the Korean market and the local market and it was like trading food for like trading like army. Oh, I don't know if it's like legal or whatever, but we'd go out into like the local market and procure food for like fresh stuff for us, which is great. But like, you know, if there's a will, there's a way. And like, um, so obviously he cared about cooking for us and making sure that we had, you know, good food. So he went out of, went out of his way to make sure that we did. So it was, it was a good guy. You, Great guy. You know what's sad is I ate healthier and cleaner at the DFACs in Afghanistan than in the DFACs in the United States. Like the the first place I was at, uh, Pasab had, you know, whatever for, you know, a DFAC. We went and were attached to some seventh group guys out of Atal. And they had, you know, their own personal chef and like they would have their own menus put out every day. Like this is what's for dinner if you're not out on a mission tonight. It was like that was pretty cool. But then like the was it Dragon East and what was the other one at Bath? What was the other defect? The Camp Camp Alpha. Yeah, the Camp. Oh, my God. Like Surfing Tour Fridays. Wing Wednesdays. Oh, my. and, and, And you'd go and I think for my in my four months that I was there as a PL on that rotation, I think I put on 12 pounds because I had like eight eggs every single morning and they were just, you cook them how you want. I'm like, uh, can I get, you know, four over easy and four scrambled? And the, the workers there were phenomenal with their, their mm-hmm. food and managing all these orders. And, 
you know, if it was ever slow, it was because some randos decided to pop over to the side of the park that they weren't supposed to play on. And you're like, get out of here. This is my egg time. But yeah, yeah, yeah I, I eat better deployed than I ever did in a defect in the United States, like, which was awful. That's true. Awful. Yeah. Like, I've, I've always, that's one thing I looked forward to when I was deployed was going to the defects. I remember on Camp Alpha, when they had Wing Wednesdays, I would go over on Wing Wednesdays with some of, my, some of the guys from the jock. And then we had one day decided to see how many wings we could eat. And I remember grabbing like a plate full of wings and some like, oh, five behind me. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. That's like one of those things like stay in your lane, bro. The, uh, yeah. the, the chicken fingers, I think it was chicken finger Wednesdays. Um, so and this is like, you know, we talk about eating clean and being healthy. But so my platoon sergeant and I. We used to get a plate of fries, and then on top of yeah. that plate of fries, I wanted all the chicken fingers, and then I wanted the nacho cheese on top of all that. And so, uh, yeah. you know, my platoon sergeant was 6'3", you know, chiseled out of stone. I'm 6'5", relatively lanky, but in my cries, I look totally jacked. And so we're standing there, and, like, we literally took all the chicken that they had left, and the same thing, some, like, yeah. 05 is behind us, like, complaining, and you just look over, and you're like, do we look like we're the same? Like, do I look like yeah. I report to you, sir? Like, shut the fuck up. This is my chicken. And it was like, it yeah, every week I just look forward to it. Yeah, because it's like, it's like Camp Alpha, so you have all, like, the joint random, like, support people. We had 10th Mountain guys. And I was just like, yeah, I forget who we had. But it was just like these random, like, support guys. I'm just like, and I was like in 05, and I was like, I don't know who you are, and you don't know who I am, so later. Yeah. I mean, my wings with my boys. Yeah, dude, I, I absolutely loved. Oh God, eating! <laughs> I want to go. I want to go back and eat there now. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was so good. And can't uh, not Camp Alpha, but Kandahar had. Uh, I mean, the first time I was there in what, thirteen or fourteen, I think they had like five or six defects. We had like there yeah. was literally like the UK each region defect. Uh, there was like an Asian defect. Yeah. Uh, there was like the the regular Chow Hall defect that you wouldn't go to because it was really close to. Uh, core headquarters um but then you had i mean this is afghanistan and, and you've got a boardwalk with like 20 different little shop at restaurants and i mean like it was the most when the first time i got there i was like this is not afghanistan this is like the the first scene in forrest gump where they get to vietnam and people are drinking cores and playing volleyball and grilling out in the open you're like what the fuck this is not war yeah i remember the first time i got the calf and then I went to the boardwalk and got TGI Fridays on the boardwalk. Yeah, they've got Burger King at CAF. Um, yeah. They've got Starbucks. I will say, I think, yeah, I think that the uh, boardwalk they closed down a couple of years ago though. Because I remember they did. Yeah, the last was it like yeah. Last time I was there 16? was uh, eighteen, and the only thing that was left open on the boardwalk was like that tactical patch shop, so guys could wear all the cool guy gear um, that they weren't issued. There was still the, I think, smoothie shop that was open. I think there was, like, a halal stand. And the green beans coffee. But everything else was was gone. Um, but they still had, like, the sports field so that the officers could get their, like, sport PT in and play ultimate frisbee and shit. Ultimate football. Embarrassing. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. So, for, for the guys that always that are always ask about, like, deployment eating... Um, the defects definitely have a lot of clean options too. Yeah. You know, they got like gr- grilled chicken breast. Like I remember my first deployment, all I ate for lunch 
I all ate for breakfast was like hard boiled eggs and oatmeal. All I ate for lunch was grilled chicken breast and salad. Yep. And dinner was like some whatever protein they had and you know some like vegetables and that's all I ate and it got super shredded my first appointment. Yep. But there's plenty of good options overseas. Like you have way more options overseas uh, eating than you do over in the states. I feel like overseas eating would be a really easy way to like truly balance like what fat to protein to carb ratio you'd want because just like you it was like lunch was always just chicken and broccoli dinner i would have some sort of a carb but then you'd be allowed to go throughout the day it'd be open you know for midnight chow so if you got to work out into the evening i would go eat um and especially like off hours that you know depending you you know when you're operating you know you could get some really good food the one thing i I disliked was uh my dinners were always breakfast so I would mm-hmm. I would go to bed eating the chicken and I'd be or excuse me I'd go to bed eating the eggs I'd wake up and have like the hot meal that took a while to to readjust to get used to yeah but uh, great meals overseas yeah. plenty of options to really um, watch your eating uh, definitely take the time to really get your physique in order while you're deployed oh yeah I mean, it's great um, but speaking uh, of deployments. Uh, this weekend's Memorial Day weekend, and we had a great opportunity. If you saw the Instagram post today, over the last uh, couple months, we've been talking to guys at Operation RSF. Uh, the company is run by guys out of group, and the whole purpose behind their company is through fitness uh, and counseling, and this idea of building a community outside of the military, so it's not you know military uh, dependent. Uh, we want to get, uh, you know, talking about PTSD and PTSD awareness and getting over the stigma that uh, mental health is something that you, you can't relate to and can't discuss because it impacts your ability to function. And so the guys over at Operation RSF have created some uh, fitness uh, tracking for you. I think they've got a Strava link. Um, and they have gyms all over the country and the world where you can go and do a workout there and meet up people that are part of the RSF community uh, so that you can work out, be mentally strong, physically strong, um, and, and get back to what you were doing if you were in the military, police force, fire department. Uh, so super happy to, to be able to work with them uh, and work out with them and their partners. And we just something we want to put out there so that if you are struggling or dealing with PTSD or know someone that is, these guys are an incredible resource. Uh, they're completely dedicated to the idea of, you know, what the nonprofit stands for at just making a, a healthier, more fit um, and, and happy community, given everything that, you know, so many do in service to the country. For sure. Yeah, it was really cool to find these other organizations that, you know, share some of our ideals of giving back and making sure we support um, better communities as well. You know, that's one thing that we kind of regret is we don't have the ability to really have a brick and mortar establishment for guys to come in and train uh, and have that. So it's really it's a great opportunity to, to partner up with these guys and then help them grow as well as you know helping uh, reach out and help you know guys struggling with mental mental issues to get the help they need or you know just to find some connection and brotherhood uh, that they are kind of yearning for or have lost since getting out. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be some extreme fitness challenge. A lot of people like during. Uh, Memorial Day Murph sessions. Uh, a lot of people like taking on, you know, some pretty extreme physical challenges. What Operation RSF really just wants you to do is 
at a minimum, reach out to somebody that you served with, a former teammate, uh, someone that was in your platoon, talk with them. And then throughout the course of that conversation, if you find a group of people that you want to go and work out with or digitally compete against, you know, that is another great alternative. But, you know, the first step is reaching out and just talking about your experiences. And, you know, one of the things that I feel like I've recognized since my, my last deployment as a platoon leader, as you mature and as you age and you reflect on the missions that you were, you know, privileged to take a part in, you also realize that, like, while you're fighting somebody else and they are the enemy and, you know, you're supposed to be relatively just kind of cold and, you know, relentless in your execution uh, of that mission, you start to realize that these are real human beings and that, you know, there really is like a, a humanitarian cost to these wars that, you know, a lot of service members have been fighting since 2001. And so you kind of, you know, whether it's, um, I think what some people always think of the traditional kind of PTSD effects of, you know, the shell shock syndrome, it doesn't always necessarily mean that it can just be a, hey, we are in some pretty dangerous uh, places. I'm really grateful for the life that I'm living now. Uh, and you just don't want to, you know, you don't want to take advantage um, and and not live life to the fullest. So, you know, it's something that you can easily talk with, uh, with individuals that are in the same community that, are, that RSF has done a great job at getting together. I would say, Sean, like for you, since you've, you know, it's been a year since you got out and been in law school for like a full year now. Did you find any, like any personal challenges or find any difficulty transitioning out? For sure. I at first found it really difficult to communicate with some of my peers and not from the standpoint of I served, you didn't, you're scum, but from the standpoint of how is what they're complaining about relevant and how is this something that they're even talking about out loud, like, you know, not being able to study for this final in the perfect condition, not having this information spelled out completely by a professor seems so trivial to me when, you know, you look back and you're like, no, the my real world problem was, you know, we had air support that had to go away because we had red air or, you know, uh, our platoon hit an IED and, you know, could we limp back uh, to uh, Passab with, you know, a destroyed mine, uh, mine roller, sure. Or would we rather have a low boy come out and pick it up for us so we could maintain, you know, our security posture? Like those were real world challenges. And so when people complained here, I had a really hard time empathizing with them. I had a hard time connecting with them because I just thought they were super immature. And then again, with like the real problems of like when you know someone um, that's given that that full measure in service to the country. And if you served in any organization, you know, they, they'll have memorials dedicated to to these, you know, incredible people with little bios written up. You're like, that's the stuff. That's life or death. Like, that's where I should be stressed out if I'm not living up to those standards. But out here in the rural world, it was really hard for me to give a shit about the the troubles that, you know, kids were complaining about. And I just, it was like a disconnect for me. Yeah, I definitely felt the same way. Like my first year of <clears throat> med school is pretty similar in terms of <laughs> what you were saying about like disconnected from your group. I felt like I could definitely see how if I let myself kind of fall down in that spiral, how easily, you know, I could have fallen into that spiral. Did you feel like something similar too? If you like had let yourself kind of become more isolated and more like separate from p- your peers, how that to kind of like spiral down into like a negative cycle and stuff. Yeah, for sure. I think it's one of the things we talked about not letting like one particular facet of your life define who you are. 
Um, I didn't want to just be known as like some, you know, curmudgeon veteran. I, I didn't even want people to know that I was a veteran. I wanted them to judge me for my ability to interpret the law or to communicate uh, cases effectively or bring up new issues in class. But I didn't want to be known as just this person that thought I was better than everyone else simply because I served at a time when I thought, you know, most people would want to support, you know, the mission uh, that the country was uh, endeavoring towards. So that that took a while, but I, I'm glad, though, because it allowed me to kind of separate myself and really be like, no, I'm a civilian. I, I think now it was a privilege to serve. I don't think it, you know, was a requirement. And because of that, uh, I'm able to communicate with my peers and really get some different backgrounds uh, that I otherwise would have shut myself off from. But, I mean, did you do anything yeah. similar to that? Yeah, I think that from, for me it was kind of like a growing up moment um, as much as it ironically isn't really growing up. It's almost like you're relearning how to work or relearning how to connect with people. Because, you know, being in the military for so long, you're like, that's what you come to expect. Like you expect people to speak their mind, to be honest with you, to, you know, give the best, you know, to give the best effort at all times, to not take things personally, to, you know, to just be like good, be like a good dude, you know. So like coming and becoming like starting med school and like seeing some of my peers, I was like, this is really, I don't necessarily know how to connect with you or really know how to communicate with you. And then for me, I found that um, like Operation RSF, what helped me a lot was um, going to CrossFit gyms and joining a CrossFit gym and being able to connect with, um, I guess, normal civilians at a CrossFit gym and finding out that, hey, like, you know, these people, like, not to say like you people, what do you mean by you people, but like, you know, civilians are like good they're good people like they a lot of them mean well and it's just that they don't truly like really understand what we did or understand kind of the you know challenge that we face so it's hard to really connect with them on that matter but then if you transit talk about like fitness wise like crossfit gyms like i like loved my old crossfit gym like uh, i thought they were like a second family for me like it's like very like it's like almost another like military family because like everybody would show up at this, like the the time that they said they would show up, they show up, and when they said they would, they would, you know, put forth the best effort. They would give it at their all at the workouts, and then after workouts, you know, we'd hang out and like talk and bullshit. I just like being in the military, and I think that gave me a lot of uh, like connection back to that kind of brotherhood. And, and it's not the same, obviously. You're not going to war with like your CrossFit gym, but like, you know, it felt like uh, like belonging to a group again, and I really enjoyed that. And I think with Operation RSF, what they are trying to do, I think that's a great opportunity for guys to get some of that, to get some of that experience and that connection again that they might have lost um, being a, coming out and becoming a civilian because, you know, more likely than not, like, civilians aren't going to really understand where you're coming from and aren't going to sh- share the same ideals that you do. And then through fitness and through CrossFit, um, I think that's a great opportunity to connect back with guys that share the same ideals. I think it's absolutely true. And one of the things that uh, when we were talking with him last week, this idea of the the voluntary nature of everything. And when you're surrounded by a lot of people that are just in general volunteers, you bond with them, especially coming from the military, because you volunteered to serve. Going to work out is voluntary. You, you're not forcing anyone to do it. Picking up and calling somebody is voluntary. Bringing up topics of conversation is voluntary. So the idea and the theme of being a volunteer, especially when it comes to your time and introduction into fitness, I think all of those work so well hand in hand that the community and what RSF is building is just something that, that I think it should really take off. Because there's one thing, you know, with just kind of talking about it, 
but when you you package it with somewhere uh, or some time where you meet up and you do something that you, you go through that like suck time together, like you know you embrace the suck together, you know that brings people closer. And it's you know when you go through RASP, RASP two, Ranger School, SFAS, I think what generally builds that camaraderie is like shit. Remember when we got IDF last night and we had to pick up our our patrol base and move it 800 meters in some random direction and everyone was disheveled and oh yeah you stepped in shit remember that and then you laid in a foxhole that someone took a shit in like that's the kind of stuff that you know years from now you're still going to be able to recall and you know you're going to enjoy that time significantly more after the fact obviously right yeah shared hardship is a great team building uh tool uh that i definitely would have implemented in the past with my guys last shared hardships yeah so i think it's great i'm just really I feel like we're pretty privileged uh, from the perspective that, you know, Chronosfit has grown to the point where we've got an awesome group of athletes that follow and do the workouts. Uh, We've got an awesome group that comes in and does the workouts as they prep for school. And at the same time, you know, if we can help uh, generate these kind of conversations and and RSF uh, reached out and, you know, continue the conversation. So I think mental health plays such a huge part in your physical health that you know, this is the kind of thing that we founded Cronus Fit for was getting this dialogue out and education being so integral to maturing as humans, whether you're still in the service or you're getting out. I mean, I think that's just a theme that comes up over and over again. Yeah, I think it's like the continual trying to improve yourself and never satisfied with, you know, the status quo. I think that's one thing that I've taken definitely to heart and trying to get better each day, like just slightly better each day. Um, that's all I, you know slowly over time just getting a little bit better each day will end up to being exponential gains over time yeah mark divine uh the founder of seal fit if anyone's ever followed their programming it's it's really difficult uh it's great it's got a ton of swimming if you're ever wondering like why we don't have a swim program it's like well there's other companies out there that have great swim programs bobby uh nor i are you know experts at the swim uh, but he always had a motto that he said to himself while he was at Bud's. And then when he's going through, you know, the suck fest was like every day, every way I get better and better. And it's something, I think it's called a modicum. Um, I'm not sure if that's right. Mantra. Mantra. Yeah. So like when, when you're out on a run and you've got your cadence, you know, every single time your foot hits the ground, you can kind of say that phrase uh, in a rhythm, you know, every couple of minutes if you're, if you're really struggling. And uh, I think that's just a, a great, a great way to, you know, really thrive and take advantage of, you know, the limited time you're going to have on this, uh, this rock hurtling through space. Yeah. I love mantras. Like I have a bunch of mantras that I will use, uh, during training or whatever I'm doing. You know, I like, I just draw them from a lot of, of, you know, personal experiences and from other people too. Like I like like Goggins mantra of like uncommon amongst the uncommons, a great one that I like to use. You know, like earn it, it's a good one, be somebody, stuff that we have hashtags for. You know, there's like a lot of ways that you can, you know, incorporate that in your life. And I think mantras can be a great tool that, you know, can be a very powerful tool because, you know, repetition over time and then positive visualization will definitely help you realize, um, help you, uh, like realize your future potential by, you know, maximizing these things. Yeah. I tell you what, like that was a pretty good uh, kind of positive spin. I think it's really difficult to always, you know, be in that headspace. Um, like you and I were texting the other day, and I was I was hot piping mad uh, about some of the like anti dog 
people in in New York City as well as just some general very unhappy people and it's it's one of those times you're like you should have shot back like stop being such a little baby back bitch like you know be positive take the higher road because like I want I wanted to just destroy some people on both a physical and mental level um you know getting angry and not not really being focused and like kind of going from zero to 100 real quick yeah I uh I'd noticed that myself sometimes too um especially like kind of getting out in that first year i was definitely very quick to anger and took that um i think i'm not sure where it came from i think when i was like doing some reflection it was like some frustration with being out of the military and then losing that brotherhood um i think i took that uh, like internalized it and that manifested itself as being a little bit more angry against like people that you know didn't really deserve my anger or annoyance really like i find i think that uh over the years i definitely got i think i got a lot better in terms of how i am spiritually and mentally and psychologically i generally think i'm like a pretty happier person um and try to be like a good person you know like happy people don't necessarily aren't going to be the people that you know make it assholes or are you know happy people aren't assholes it's like you know the people that you know that get angry at the like Karens that get angry at you know a grocery store worker for bagging their bags you know the bagging the groceries oh incorrectly like Karen there's probably a reason there's probably a reason why they're so angry it could be like something that, but you don't know like what's going on in their life so you know happy people aren't going to be assholes to, to random strangers so if somebody's being an asshole it's probably a reason why they're being an asshole and they have probably a lot bigger things in their life that they're worried about or they're dealing with so in my mind, I, I try not to propagate the anger cycle um, by getting angrier too. You know, um, there's nothing that frustrates someone more than, than it's like an angry person that um, when they responded to with respect and with calmness, like that only frustrates people further. So like um, by by not responding in kind, I think you can wield like, a great power over their mind and then make them even you know more angry or more irritated by themselves for not you know inciting some anger in you. So I think it's like taking kind of the high road and being, you know, a, a master of your own emotions and being able to control your own emotions as well. Yeah, there was a woman that was walking her two dogs in Central Park yesterday, and uh, we were walking ours, and it was the off-leash hours, and right after 9 o'clock, it goes to, you know, you had to leash your dogs, and this guy walked by her, and he has, you know, this small, medium-small, kind of, but just like a small dog on a leash, and I think one of the things I really dislike with dogs is not dogs in general, but small dogs in general. So when they're on a leash, they're typically not very well behaved. I think small mm-hmm. dogs in general usually get a pass for poor behavior because they're always just poorly behaved anyway. And they, you know, they shit and they piss everywhere. And people are like, oh, they're just small dogs. But this dog like lunged at a dog that's a German Shepherd. And the German Shepherd was like, no like and and put the dog in its place like not like it didn't rough it up or like you yeah. know clip it but but this guy whose dog was ill behaved on a leash starts screaming at the woman and called her the c word repeatedly just like you this you that like fuck you and i'm i'm standing there and i started walking over and it was asking like are you know are you okay and it was just like who like that that was like for me perspective like i should never get that angry over something so trivial as a dog you know we talk about uh stuff being trivial in school um compared to serving like that was a for me a huge example of that's why you have to separate 
you know, what's really important from what's clearly not important. Like, are you upset that your dog yapped at somebody? Sure. Are you upset that your dog, uh, you know, got put in its place by a bigger dog? Sure. But does it, does it warrant responding in such an extreme fashion? We're in the middle of Central Park in front of hundreds yeah. of people. You're calling this woman the C word. Like, no, no, bro. Like, you'd have to do something pretty substantial for me to want to use that language. Um, and I think before I'd use that language, I'd want to put hands on you. Like, that's just, like, people need to take a chill pill in this city. It's super, uh, you know, aggro here. Yeah, I would say, like, I've never had really good experience in New York City. I just remember, like, at West Point, as, like, a freshman at West Point, going down to New York City for a weekend. I just remember I watched some, like, 20 or 30-year-old, like, guy calling a grandma a bitch. Like, she, like, he, like, cut her off, like, 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 kind of bumped her, like, in the subway. And she was like, excuse me. And said, watch your mouth, you fucking bitch. And this was, like, to a grandmother, like, an eight, like, a white-haired grandmother. I was like, what the fuck is wrong with people in New York City? And that's always put, like, a sour taste in my mouth in New York City. Like, I've never really enjoyed New York City because of that. The people, I feel like, are just rude and, like, really just angry people. And I think that's just, like, comes with being in the city, too. That's one of the reasons why, you know, I, I don't advocate for violence. Uh, and I think, you know, laws are in place for a reason. But that kind of language wasn't tolerated, you know, before probably the 1970s, 1980s, because if a grown man and, you know, we're speaking about gender roles here, if a grown man said that to any aged woman, some other man in the area was going to, you know, at the time, sock him, was going to just clock this dude and that dude was going to keep his mouth shut because that was like society checking in. And ensuring that that kind of language was not tolerated, nor was treating the opposite sex tolerated. But it's something like we've really strayed from, uh, you know, with, I'm not blaming like the, the, the feminist movement at all on that. So please don't interpret that from like what I'm saying here. But I think in general, people aren't held accountable uh, in society any longer in the same fashion, because maybe you can say like this idea of tort law has has grown outside of uh, the realm of control because you can sue someone for anything. So if you got slapped in the face for calling a woman a bitch, like now you're just going to sue the guy. And so people are too fearful of, you know, checking the, the rude behavior of others. Yeah. I was talking to Christina, like on the drive, she was like, really, she's never lived outside the East coast before, like outside New Jersey. So like we were driving like cross country and she was like, wow, people are so nice in the Midwest like people were so nice here and i was like that's because you know go back, like wind back like 50 years or like 100 years in like south dakota like these this is people these people are like savages like they de- they really depend on each other for they're helping each other because like the winter times in, north, in south dakota is like brutal winter times and like if you like you know like something broke in your house and like you like ran out of gas or something people would just go to their neighbors and ask for help because they understood that this was like life or death. Like they were able to like help each other out and understood that like, you know, if you alienate yourself and call, you know, if you're rude to everybody around you, like that's not going to bode well for your future too. So I think a lot of like places down South places like in Texas or like the Midwest where people were like truly depend on each other for, um, for their possible future survival. I think that causes some, you know, societal or cultural differences that causes them to be more polite to each other to call each other by sir or ma'am and really show some respect because they understand that like these 
you know actions have repercussions down the line yeah but like you talk about like big cities like new york city like what population like 10 million people like you know being rude to someone like what's that going to do for you in the future like you don't care about these people like you you don't depend on them for help no so just like the the like being able like one in like one like in a small town there's definitely like a much stronger community because people know how to like depend on each other and respect each other i'll tell you what though if you get mad and you feel like you're just gonna go off on somebody that's that's triggered you if you do it without cussing i swear to god that's way more effective and intimidating than just dropping fuck every other word like if you tell somebody like i'm gonna fucking kill you you sound super irate and irrational Mm -hmm. and people are just gonna you know, write it off. But if you say something like, I will kill you, like <laughs> that, that sounds significantly more like a real threat. You know, if, yeah. <laughs> you know, some guy uh, nearly hits you as you're crossing the street, if you're like, get the fuck out of the car, I'm going to beat your ass. If you'd be like, get out of the car, but I'm going to break you. Like that to me, if I was driving, I'd be like, oh, I'm out. Like this guy, yeah. this guy's clearly mad. But he's controlled, and it's yeah. it's someone that is incredibly mad that can control that emotions. It's the same way that you know when you train over and over again in the military for that battle drill. When you finally get there, you know in combat, you're not like super emotional about the event because you've been so well trained. It's the same way with responding to somebody that makes you angry. Just think of you know how well you executed that battle drill in Afghanistan for the first time because of that repetitive training. It's the same way that you'll respond effectively to this random person that bumps into you on the subway that you know says something to you or to your partner, and then you just calmly let them know exactly how you're going to hurt them. I don't think that person is going to be able to really function uh, and understand that threat, and they're going to want to back out of that immediately. Yeah, I say like people uh, can definitely are pretty good at recognizing threats, and by uh, you know becoming irate and screaming at somebody that that instantly shows that you like aren't a good you can't control your emotions and then like instantly show some weakness and like an environment. It's like the, like what you said about like if you just it, tell someone like you look them dead in the eye and say I will end your life. I'm pretty sure that that person's gonna walk away like nine times out of ten. Like there's no way that it's gonna ever like lead to an actual altercation because. Um, I'm sure if you do that to me, what well, the fact that you're like six foot five <laughs> at the same time, like I'm sure that goes a long way. Too. Yeah. Or just coming up like, I'm like, it sounds like I like plan for this thing. Like every single time I'm out in this city, I'm just like, what am I going to say to this person if they anger me? But you know, maybe have a, a you know, a, a list in your back pocket of, of really quick, calm insults that you can throw at somebody or threats that you can say some, you know, to somebody. And this, these are just off the top of my head. I've not practiced or rehearsed them. But something like, I'm going to hurt you, and I promise I will take some pleasure from it. Like, just something small that'll make them go, wait, what? Oh, I don't know if I got into this the right way. I, I need to apologize to this person. This is, this is not the dude. Because I, I, I tell you what, I have had more run-ins with the fuckboy generation in New York City than any other population. Like, it is a rude group of... I might even call them young men. It, it's a group of just shitty, immature boys that got completely uh, ignored by women in their life until they were like 22, 23. Now they dress like Justin Bieber. They try to sleep with as many women as possible. And then as a result, they think that through like sexual conquest, they're validated as being true men. 
And so they walk around and they'll just bump into you on the sidewalk in the Lower East Side. And they're wearing like, you know, these 1980 dad shirts that are three times too big for them. But they got to cover up for the fact that they're just, you know, skinny fuck boys. And then they'll just bump into you and they'll like they'll they'll tell you to fuck off because, you know, you address them like, what are you doing, dude? Like stay on your side of the lane. And those are the guys that, again, I'm not advocating for it, but have some in the back pocket. Like, just have something where you can throw out there and be like, you know, daddy might be a lawyer, but he's going to have an expensive bill to deal with. Like, something that you can just... Uh, that's expensive that's one of the reasons I'm looking forward to getting a law degree. So when someone threatens me with, well, my dad's a lawyer, I'll be like, great, I'll represent myself. Let's get on. <laughs> yeah, I always like the uh, like the stories of, like, NCOs in the Army just, like, telling guys, like, if you want to, like, take this outside, we can take this outside, take our ranks off, you know? And like handle it like men. I think just their real threat of physical confrontation will like nine times out of ten back somebody down and put somebody in their place because they know who the real you know who's really in charge here. Oh, I I had that that instance where like go outside and handle. It. And for for awareness, I've never been in a fight in my life. Like Same. I have I've never gotten to the point uh, where I've had to get physical with somebody. Um, I've trained for some hand to hand stuff just through like doing different fitness and doing some BJJ. But, like, I've never had to, to actually use it. And so it's almost like one of those things, like, will I ever get to? And it's like, well, I hope I don't get to that point because that, that means that, like, mm. as in a society, we've kind of broken down. But I was at a bar uh, for my brother-in-law's bachelor party, and some dude walked by and was talking to, you know, his, his friends and the other groomsmen. And, you know, he starts getting in our face, and we're talking to him. And, you know, I'm completely sober because at this point, I'm like, that's my future brother-in-law, like, for my sister's sake, I'm making sure nothing happens to him. I'm making sure as the adult in the room, so I'm a little bit older, that, you know, everyone's going to be taken care of. So I'm completely, like, sober at this point, just drinking water at the bar, and this guy's drunk. And he starts, like, he's like, you don't even know. I do MMA. And I'm like, I, I don't care. He goes, like, I'll fuck you up. And this dude's wearing, like, a peacoat he's got fingerless gloves on he, he's dressed like he's in the show uh million dollar listing new york you know down in charleston south carolina and so i'm like this is i can't believe this guy is serving me this opportunity on a golden platter like he he really wants this i'm sober now i'm thinking the legal ramifications like if i'm sober and he's drunk and i really hurt him like is that somehow gonna be like my fault kind of like one you know almost like a uh, an instance in a bar where a, a dude and a female are talking and the dude's less drunk than the female, like what kind of second, yeah, yeah. third order effects are there? So I said, to him, let's go outside. And he goes, all right. And I'm making him sound way tougher than he, he's not seven foot tall, 350 pounds. And so I'm like, all right, let's go. And so I start walking out with him and he's in front of me and we're getting close to the door and he turns around and he's like, yo, yo, yo. I was like, no, out, let's go <laughs> get outside. And he's like, dude, I think we got off on the wrong foot. And I was like, <laughs> we definitely got off on the wrong foot, but that foot is going to continue walking outside and we're just going to go around the alleyway because, like, y- you've crossed the line. And at this point, like, it smells like shit. Like, he either shit himself or he had, like, bubble gut, but it was disgusting and it smelled awful. And he's like, he's like, dude, I'm really sorry. I, can I buy you a drink? Like, I, I, I'm like, he's apologizing. I'm just like, dude, just leave the bar, like get out. And so he just turned around and just kept walking out the door. And I, you know, I never saw him the rest of the night, but it was like, you know, as soon as it gets close to that time where you had, you know, that, that necessary violence of action 
uh, is just, you know, becoming more clear. It's like all of a sudden people have that, that line where they know that, you know, the words that they were using are not going to be, you know, backed up. You're, you're writing a check that your, your body can't cash. Yeah. It's like put up or shut up. It's like the classic saying, like the classic saying, put up or shut up. It's just like, you know, either put it up or shut up, dude. I, I, when, if I've ever gone out in the city here, um, which has been like very rare, I will not get drunk. Like I, you know, we've talked about it before. You and I drink so infrequently. It's like if I go out and I have like two beers, I'm going to be pretty buzzed. And so usually like I will sip a beer for 30 minutes to an hour because you don't know what kind of crazies are out here or what kind of instances you're going to run into. And I'm walking everywhere here in the city anyway. So the last thing I want to have happen is to have my ass kicked because I took the, the wrong corner or I ran into the wrong dude who's completely hammered. And because I'm, you know, a, a, of a foggy brain, I can't, you know, physically handle myself. Like don't, don't op, you know, open yourself to that kind of a threat. So always, you know, always stay, uh, you know, sharp and in control. in control, unless you're leaving your house. I mean, unless you're staying in your house, like I would never get to a point where you either a can't drive or B, couldn't protect you, yourself or your loved ones. Like, that is just, like, a limit you should not ever cross. And I, I know a lot of people go out and they have great times and they take Ubers and stuff. But it, for me, it's just not worth it, especially I'm old as fuck at 31. Like, I'm never going to get to that point. Yeah. I was like, I don't really drink that much anymore either. Like, maybe a beer a night, if that. Uh, but, like, yeah, for sure. Like staying, That's one thing I, I never really enjoyed about drinking is, like, that sense of losing control. Yeah. Like, I don't think I've ever... Maybe one time I've like blacked out, but that was like in college. But like after that, I think I've like mostly stayed in relatively solid control most of the time. So I just never enjoyed that feeling of being out of control and not being able to control myself. No, I've like in college, I'd I'd have some like pretty good you know nights. Uh, I would I've never I've never blacked out in my life. Um, so I don't know like when people talk about that, I, like I can't relate. But um, as soon as like I graduated college, like something flipped and I was like, all right, I'm not in school anymore. I have no excuse for like just drinking in a house for hours on end playing video games. Like I'm a, I'm an adult and the army's expecting me to show up to eyeball here in a couple months and be ready to go to ranger school and then be mature enough to take over a platoon. Um, and I think one of the things that we, we talked about on the eyeball at prep thing about guys getting hammered every single night I think it's like very few of those dudes end up either going straight through ranger school, being successful at ranger school in the long run are the guys that go to ranger regiment and special forces. You know, I, I think there's a, uh, there's a maturity thing, especially in terms of drinking um, that, you know, once you hit 22, 23, people start waking up and going like, this is not the, I don't want to be in, in this kind of capacity for, you know, hours on end and, and have a shitty next day waking up. Yeah, it's like a responsibility thing and just being able to delay the gratification of a, you know, of a good time and balancing the good time with, you know, future success. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not so bad. I, I, you know, you, you get into the point now where you're old enough to, you know, have significant relationships uh, with other people and, you know, start having families like that's not the kind of behavior you'd want uh, to have in front of a, you know, a kid. That's definitely not the kind of you know threat you'd want to invite if your kid was right next to you mm. so it's just one of those like you know what's the risk versus the reward um but especially too with you know I, now we're getting on like the the different subject of going out and and 
respecting uh, either the same or the opposite gender, whatever you're interested in. It's like if you're drunk or you're even to that point, like you are, you are risking a significant amount if either your recollection is off, uh, that other person's recollection of the night is off. It's like so it's, it's just much safer and you're the real person you are when you're sober and you're going to have to get to know this person if they're worth getting to know sober. So why start it off on a, you know, some pretense where it's just you being a drunk asshole, like completely yeah. unnecessary. Interesting. You mentioned that because, uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book talking to strangers, he spends like a significant amount of time talking about, um, how that happens and what alcohol does to your brain and how, um, how in certain circumstances, like, you know, the, he said, she said circumstances, like, by being drunk, you're not able to, your brain literally physically cannot recognize like the normal signs that people give you. So like uh, you, be by being drunk, misconstrue the situation like almost all the time when you're drunk. And that leads down to, you know, this this road of sexual assault, you know, not disrespecting women and stuff like that. And that becomes like a suit, like once you are past a certain point of your BAC, your blood alcohol concentration, like your your brain literally loses the ability to 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 detect normal situations. You lose your your ability to form memories. So like what happens early in the night, you're not gonna remember later in the night. So like you know if you try to talk to this woman earlier in the night, your brain won't remember that she rejected you earlier in the night, and then you try again later in the night, and then that just you know can further dip the like spiral into out of control into the fact that you know she's drunk too she doesn't know what she's doing you're drunk you don't know what you're doing and then that can lead to very questionable legal circumstances like eg like brock uh what's his face brock turner and you at usc like oh yeah um, if you listen if you listen to like his testimony like you can tell that they he's been very well coached by his lawyers and what to say about the recollection because if you go back to like the and then he and malcolm gladwell does a really good job in his book talking about it but like He's drunk as hell, so he doesn't even know what happens during the night. So he doesn't, he can't even tell you what. Like during the initial police interview, he doesn't even give a good like account of what happens at the, during the night. And then fast forward to the trial, he has a ma- like a magical like recollection of being able to tell you exactly what happened when at each point in the night because the lawyers or his lawyers right. able to do that for him. And there are no concrete, definite statements. It's always like I believe or as yeah. I as I recollect. It's like well, that's just that's completely ambiguous. That doesn't, there's no proof in what you're saying. Um, I think one of the things, you know, I, I, I kind of touched on it with like, you know, think about how your loved one would respond or in different circumstances. Uh, when I was a senior, uh, in college, my, uh, only sister, my younger sister, uh, was a freshman at the same school. And so, uh, when she was out of her soccer season, uh, she had more opportunities to go out and she didn't join a sorority, but you know, her soccer team would go and hang out with all the other sports teams. And so if I knew that like she was going out one night, um, typically like we're, we're super close. So we'd end up seeing each other, you know, later in the night you know, me to make sure that she was okay as like a big brother or go grab a bite to eat. But like, if I knew she was going to go to like the baseball house down the street, like you bet your ass, I'm going to walk over to the baseball house at 1231 o'clock. Um, and be like, hey, you know, I'm here to see my sister. And like when you're more sober, I think people, you know, as, as Bobby mentioned, they miss some signals. But I think when you're generally sober and you're, you're very serious and stern, I think that's one thing that as human beings we're, we can pick up on. And so that was one of the things for me that was like, listen, that's a, that's a clear telltale sign that like this person's not fucking around if 
like I can tell they're they're super serious and just not drinking really uh, allows you to be in that state of mind. It's like if I was super drunk and my sister was being taken advantage of, I would have felt awful, especially if it's something I could have controlled or helped out or, you know, been there for her. So that was for me just like a, you know, unless you're completely living in a, a alone, uh, like a hermit, like, you know, there's always going to be situations where someone might need you. Uh, and you might need to step up. Like you never know when you're going to get called up to, to do something. And it's just like a, do you really want to risk it? Is having, you know, six beers instead of just two going to do it. But while we're on the topic of beer, dude, I had a great, great blood orange IPA. Uh, <laughs> I was just thinking about that last night. I, I had a great one. So I'll have to, I'll have to send you the details. All right. Uh, I guess we can just kind of segue off this alcohol talk. Um, you doing anything for more day weekend for tomorrow? Uh, I think last this last week I haven't been able to work out once because of the writing competition to get onto a journal. Um, but tomorrow I might do like a really long bike ride and like a long run, so maybe like a, a four hour gasser. You guys didn't do anything like uh, like going out to cookouts or anything like that, barbecues. No, unfortunately, everything at the apartment complex is completely shut down. Uh, we've got mm-hmm. grills and stuff. Uh, we've been doing a lot of. Um, like skillet cooking, which like yeah. I feel like I can get a pretty good char, like two tablespoons of butter, some thighs, and cook yeah. it for ten or fifteen minutes and throw it in the oven. Uh, I saw. You, did you get a smoker? Yeah, we got Traeger yesterday. Oh, what, what do you got on the on the grill for tomorrow? We've got ribs, and I'm gonna get some steaks tonight as well. That's awesome. Uh, how do you, how do you like your yeah. steak? Are you like a medium medium rare or? Medium well. I'm usually a medium rare type, medium uh, like a rare medium rare type guy. Do you like a char or? Oh yeah, for sure. You gotta have the crust. And do you do a, a dry rub or do you do like a wet overnight marinade? I am more of a purist. I like my steaks just with salt and pepper, and then like no steak seasoning on it. Um, I like to do either. I do a lot of sous vide, uh, so I like to sous vide my steaks. Uh, but on the trigger, you can do like a reverse or a, a reverse sear on it where you like bring it like cook it at like a low temperature bring it up to like 130 135 and then crank up the heat and like sear it uh so i'm gonna try experimenting with that technique uh later have you done uh tri-tip before tri-tip is great i love costco has some incredible tri-tip like the santa fe i i think we were doing that like every week or two in colorado it's delicious Dude, Costco meat is next level. I saw like Christina. We bought some. Uh, I bought some like sh- like not even like high quality like uh, short ribs, just like the cheapest cut they had, and it was still like delicious. Oh, so, it, like Costco meat dude, is insanely. Costco good. is incredible. I love. I, I waited outside like an hour uh, in the springs to go into Costco. One because the chicken you can get like great chicken thighs for like one ninety nine a pound. Yeah. Um, and this is so weird that we're talking about meat when we were like meatless for. <laughs> How, how many months? Um, but <laughs> Six months. you can get such great food from Costco. We've we've got the car in the city, and like we're contemplating like next weekend just getting it out to drive to Jersey to go to Costco to fill it up. Now I noticed in the video behind me, you've got a fridge. Does that have a touchscreen on it? Uh, it's not a touchscreen, but uh, it is a glass screen. That's so it's got like a a beverage thing. That's and- cool. So you can like, you should be able to tap on it. There it goes. Oh, that's cool. And then you can like open the you can open the beverages. It's pretty sweet. This house is dope. It's a great house. I can't wait to come out and visit. Like, I, 
I think I'm just going to fly out there. You'll, you'll pick me up. That Stay sober so oh, you can yeah. come and pick me up whenever I call. That's going to be the call up yeah, for you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but I think uh, – so we had some guy asking about us for Memorial Day weekend. Like, um, I think a lot of people get, like, a little – or some people, some veterans can get a little um, little entitled uh, when it comes to Memorial Day because, you know, most people, when they think of Memorial Day, think about grilling, mm-hmm. you know, spending time with the family Beaches and, like, having up. a good time. But then it's just, like, uh, I think some veterans can get a little entitled and say, like, no – you know, Memorial Day isn't about grilling. It isn't about having a good time. It's about remembering those who have fallen. But at the same time, though, like, in my mind, uh, you know, for the guys that have fallen and have paid the ultimate, the final the final sacrifices, like, I'm sure they wouldn't want you to not enjoy yourself on this on this weekend, too, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, that's such a great point. It's one of the things that I really dislike sometimes about the, the veteran community. Like, you could only do certain celebrations in a certain way otherwise it's an affront to whatever values i think that the veteran community should hold it's like the july 4th thing like please don't play with firecrackers like you know um you know i've got i've got ptsd i can't deal with fireworks on the 4th of july you know it's it's that kind of uh behavior that i i'm just not a fan of or it's memorial it's Memorial Day weekend. Um, you can't go out and barbecue. Don't go to the beach. Like, you have to sit in mourning. It's like, no, dude. Like, go and live a life worth living. Do something exactly. that day to remember the person that gave it all. And I think, like, that's the best way to, to celebrate the lives of these Americans. I mean, like, sitting in a in a room in the dark, um, it, I'm sure, is not the way that they would spend their day. Uh, if they had one more day on earth. So, you know, think about it that way. If th- this person had one more day and was given another day, how would they celebrate that day? They'd probably spend it with loved ones getting after maybe, you know, their favorite workout or, you know, going to the park with their kids. I mean, like there's a million ways to remember somebody, um, but living your life to the fullest, I think is probably the best way to go about it. And just do something to remember. If you know, if you want to do one more for the airborne ranger in the sky, like, that's a great way to do it. I think it's awesome that the Ranger Regiment always does that. You know, you ask for one more push-up than, than is necessary. But, uh, yeah, not not celebrating the life that you have. And especially now, we talk about, you know, the coronavirus. There's 100,000 people that are dead now. You know, like, enjoy what you have while you have it. You don't know when it's going to end. You don't know the fashion that you're going to go out in. So if you're living your life at any sort of, like, muted level, you don't want to have to answer to the man at the pearly gates and say, dude, I, can I just get a couple more hours? Like I didn't, I didn't do it the way I should have. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. I think it's a, uh, I, I, like I personally am going to enjoy my day tomorrow. going to get that good workout in and I'm going to spend some time with Christina and the dog and we're going to grill out and have some fun outside the patio. So it's just like, you know, enjoy it and spend it how you would like to spend it. Don't try and, you know, push your ideals on other people for how they should celebrate holidays. And I find that, you know, in the veteran community, we kind of eat our own and that guys try to, you know, try to force their ideas on other people. And then, you know, at the end of the day, it's your day and you can spend it however you like. Yeah. And I'm sure that, you know, the guys who follow him would say the same thing. Yeah, and if, uh, if, if you want to do it every single day, uh, one of the things that I think about almost every day is like, if you're going through a really difficult workout and you know, like Bobby and I are doing a lot of endurance stuff now and you know, I had to ride for three hours, uh, last or two weeks ago, like it, it started hurting at some points, but you're like, you know what? Like I, I'm still living. Like I'm sure, 
if our roles were reversed and someone was like, hey, you either have to sit on this bike or you have to give it up. Like, no, dude, this is like the far from the worst thing that I could be experiencing right now. I'm going to keep toughing it out and just get this ride done and enjoy that I'm putting myself in this pain cave. So if, if you ever, yeah, ever want to remember like what you're really doing it for, like that's what it is. It's like live it to the fullest, have fun doing it within the legal measures that you know we have in our society. But just do something that makes you happy, man. Yeah, so like uh, I did an 18 mile yesterday and that was, I, got, I went to the pancake for a little bit. And then like once I get into that pancake, there's like a few things that I can always rely on to keep pushing me through. And that's always one of them is, is thinking about somebody you know that's no longer with us that uh helps me push through that pain cave and to keep pushing forward and that's something that i use a lot uh to help me keep me you know motivated yeah that's a great tool all right with that i think uh we will start wrapping it up do you have any announcements uh yeah i we get some questions about like when we're going to get some barbells back here in the workouts um i think as some gyms start opening up uh you know, next in the next week and a half uh, across the country, Bobby and I will, will take a look at what states, um, you know, those places are in. And if it's we start seeing the majority of the, the athletes that are taking our programs uh, each day, uh, maybe we'll be able to get back to some more traditional uh, programming. But, you know, until then, we're still going to do this body weight stuff because um, there's definitely ways to, uh, to again, to, to go to that that house of pain. Yeah, it's like uh, from my side of the house, I think uh, June 1st, I'm going to start opening back up to normal programming, but I'm still going to include a no or low equipment option. Yeah. Excuse me, as well. Uh, but June 1st for me for functional fitness, we'll be starting opening back up normal. Uh, check out Operation RSF. We keep uh, we share their page on our Instagram a lot, so uh, check them out. You know, for guys that want to get involved, you know, hit them up and try and get involved somehow. Reach out to a buddy. It doesn't have to be through them, but you know, reach out to a buddy, check on your buddy, see how they're doing, you know, spend some time and, um, catch up with guys that you haven't talked to in a while. Cause you know, uh, like or not, we are all pretty busy. And then, you know, just take a couple minutes of your day and then reach out to somebody. It's always a nice chance to, you know, reconnect and to share some memories and go down memory lane again, which I, uh, like to do every now and then as well. Yeah. Um, but I think that is all that we have. Anything else, Sean? No, I have a great Memorial day guys. Uh, Remember those that, that gave it all. Um, spend it with your, your loved ones. Uh, and if you need someone to talk to, uh, RSF is there. We're here for you. Um, and look forward to uh, catching up with you guys next week and getting back to some great programming. Absolutely. Until next time, guys. I'll check you guys later. Peace. Peace.